Welcome to the Maranatha Baptist Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this sermon from God's Word will be a blessing to you and will grow your love for Jesus Christ. We would encourage you to use it only as a supplement to your regular intake of God's Word in your local church. If you need help connecting with a local church, please reach out to us on our website, mbcgrimes.org. We are going to jump into Philippians chapter 4. We really only have tonight and next week to finish out Philippians. And so in chapter 4, we're going to look at the first nine verses this evening and then finish up the rest of it next week. And what I'd like to do is to start out with just read through these verses. It's not a whole lot, uh, but it would be good for us to go ahead and read through them and then we can... uh, ask some questions, and talk about some of the, the uh, items here. So, Philippians chapter 4, starting verse 2. I implore, you, implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. All right, so so Paul takes this opportunity in writing to the Philippians to talk really about two, two opposing ideas. He starts out in this section talking about conflict. And then after that, there's two times here, and I think it really ties this, the rest of the section together. It's two times that he mentions peace. And so that's what we're going to kind of focus on uh, tonight with this section is first conflict and then peace. And those are kind of two opposing ideas. All right. So uh, just as a review, I'm just going to put these up. These are topics and that we have talked about throughout. You know, again, he's talked about rejoicing in unity, humility, service, Christian living, and knowing Christ, which all of those things you know, will still pertain also to what we're looking at tonight. And then the examples of Jesus, Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus. Um, These are different examples that we see that he points us to, um, including himself, but points us to to say these are examples to follow. All right. So, um, and of course, again, the focus of Paul in his whole life really focuses around the gospel. All right. So he starts out with Euodia and Syntyche. So what do we know about these two women? Just, you know, these, this is the only place that these women are mentioned. So what do we know of these two women just by looking at these verses? Um, of course, we see... You know, they were in conflict because of different mindsets. Uh, they did. It says right there that he he implores them to be of the same mind. And so, if he's imploring them to be of the same mind, that obviously means they're not of the same mind currently. They have different mindsets of of what they're uh, thinking or or their opinions or beliefs. And you know, as we look at that, 
Well, the first thing I, I want to point out is what are some of the other verses in Philippians that we've seen so far about being of the same mind? There's actually a few of them. All right, so if we look back at, uh, and here they are, all of them. If we look back at chapter 1, verse 27, he mentions being of the same mind, uh, striving together for the faith of the gospel. All right, so being of the same mind toward giving out the gospel and and striving for the gospel being um, presented. Chapter 2, verses 2 and 5, he mentions being of one accord in humility and in service. And he mentions in verse 5, of course, who is the example of, of that humility and that service? And that, of course, is Jesus. And so he, he really wants to uh, say, okay, this is, this is the mindset that you should have, is one of humility and service with Jesus as the example. He says of Timothy, he says, he, there is no one else that is like-minded with me. And he mentions that Timothy's like-mindedness was related to his care for the church, the care for the Philippians. And so he said those, you know, we are like-minded in our love for the Philippians and our care for them. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 15, it mentions... Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything of you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. And in that, he's talking about, as we talked about last week, running the race well and uh, working toward that goal that uh, is the goal of of, uh, living godly, the goal of... of, um, reaching to the end and, and looking at the future, saying, okay, these are the rewards that, that uh, God will give those who are faithful. But looking toward that end and, and running well. So he says, have that same mind. And then in, in verse 19, kind of a, an opposite side of it, he says, you know, these ones that were enemies of, of God, he says, that they had set their mind on earthly things. And he uses that as a, a point, a negative view of having your mind where it shouldn't be. So, you know, if we look at all those and we see these two ladies and they have different mindsets, you know, if they all, if they both were following all of these different mindsets that Paul was presenting, uh, do you think that these ladies would be in conflict? I think there is a whole lot less chance of conflict if they were both striving, if their mindset was striving for the gospel, if they both had mindset of humility and service, you know, care for the church and running for the goal. You know, if those were their mindsets, they both had that mindset, would they be in conflict and say, there's a whole lot less chance of it. But their mindsets were probably more of a selfish nature. Isn't that where most conflict comes from? When I get this idea and this is what I want, and somebody else says, this is my idea and this is what I want to see happen, and then that's when we have conflict. And so I think that's probably what, um, we don't know exactly what the conflict was, but I think we can pretty much deduce that it was probably some selfishness going on in that, in that situation. And they, they weren't of one mind, and they weren't focusing on those, those same goals. All right, so... We also know that they had a, a legacy of service. I say that because he, he points out several people there, some by, or one by name, but then others just as a group. But he, he says, um, 
that they were women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. All right, so from, uh, they had a history from, from uh, probably from the beginning of the Philippian church, where they were involved uh, with the church and was involved in the church's growth and development and, and giving out of the gospel. And so that, you know, they, they were women that had a history there, but yet now they were in conflict. All right. We also see that Paul cared about them personally. You know, he knew them by name and he cared about them personally enough to, to include them in his letter, for one. Um, you know, sometimes... It shows how much a person cares about you if they are willing to call you out. And that's kind of what Paul was doing here. He's calling them out and saying, hey, this is a problem and I'm going to point it out. And I, I really, my desire is that you fix, you're able to fix this and restore that relationship. All right. So he cared about them personally, knew them personally. And then lastly, we, we see that they were believers. And I mention this just because, you know, this, there is a um, contrast that we see in chapter 3, those ones where I, I mentioned earlier, you know, enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, you know, had their mind on earthly things. So there were some believers or or professed believers that I think left the faith and were serving their own selves. But that's not the case with these two ladies, I don't believe. They were women of the church. They were believers. They were faithful. But yet, they had this conflict going on and this disagreement. And so they were struggling with each other uh, and I think that's a, a point to say, can we as believers still have conflict with other believers? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We, uh, we're still prone to sin. We're still prone to selfishness. And, and we still have to be on guard that we are not allowing that to cause us to be in conflict with other believers around us. And uh, whatever the situation was, that's, that's where these two ladies found themselves. And, and it was affecting not just them, obviously, but it was also affecting the church. All right. So, so we know these two ladies were in conflict. Uh, question for you, too, on this. How would you like this to be your legacy? You know, here they had a legacy, I think, you know, as mentioned earlier, of serving the gospel. But here now, these two ladies are forever in Scripture as the two ladies in conflict. You know, it's a shame, but that, that sometimes is the way of, um, of believers that that can be believers for a long time and can serve well, but then something happens and draws them away from serving well. And they can become either uh, in sin or in conflict, as these two ladies were, and, and it sometimes leaves other people with that as what they remember about you. And... Uh, you know, we don't want that to be what people remember about us, that we're people of conflict. We don't, we don't want that to be um, our history, okay? Um, so we just need to be on guard and just think through, you know, to other people. Will other people see us when we are in conflict with another believer? Yeah. And it's going to affect them um, as well as just the two people that are involved. So it never remains just with the 
affecting just the two people. So you just need to be mindful of that. All right, so he then says, uh, verse 3, I urge and I urge you also, true companion. All right, so who is the true companion that he's talking about here? Uh, it's a few different options. One, one person that uh, talked about this said it was Luke. Well, we know Luke had been at Philippi. Uh, we don't have any record that Luke actually returned to Philippi after, after leaving there. And this would have been written the the letter to the Philippians was written later on. It's when Paul was in Rome, and so I, you know, while that is a possibility, I don't think we have any record that says that that it would have been Luke. Uh, there's also a mention, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce. Um, someone who knows Greek might be able to pronounce this better. But uh, this is actually a Greek, the Greek word for companion that's in, in, the, uh, in the verses. And it, there are some that take this and say, oh, well, that wasn't really meant as the word companion, but it actually was a person's name. And so they say this was a proper name of someone that he was referring to. I personally don't think that's it. I think it was really just the idea of Companion. Part of that is because I don't believe this word is used anywhere else in scriptures, but um, but I don't believe that that it was a person's name. I think he was talking to someone in particular, and I think the person knew who he was talking to. Uh, Some would say that it's the Philippian church as a whole. You know, so the true companion of Paul would be the Philippian church. Um, again, I, I, I don't know. It's a possibility, but not likely. Because then he mentions um, you know, that you know, to help these ladies who've been with them, with Clement also. I, I don't know. It just doesn't seem to fit the, the wording there. Last thing I'll put out is really just a blank do we know who the true companion is? No, I don't think we do. And, you know, it, it's interesting sometimes to look at the different possibilities, but sometimes we also have to just sit back and say, you know, God will reveal this to us in heaven. We'll, we'll be able to look at this and say, oh, who was that that Paul was writing to? Um, so, you know, we don't really know who that true companion was. Um, but it's, it's still interesting to look at and see that Paul had somebody in mind there that he was saying, you know, I'm wanting you to help these two ladies to resolve this. Um, so what was the task asked of this companion? It was to help the two ladies. Uh, he doesn't really describe it any further than that, but uh, he knew these two ladies were in conflict and they needed someone to step in. Are there times when you get in conflict and you can't see clear to get out of the conflict? And sometimes it requires an outside set of eyes or outside opinion, uh, someone that can uh, mediate between the two parties. Um, is that a bad thing? No, no. We, we sometimes resist against that because we don't want to get somebody else involved or we don't want to, uh, uh, we might be embarrassed about the conflict and, and, and don't want to... Um, have someone to have to step in. Or sometimes we may just not want somebody else to step in because we're afraid they may tell us we're wrong. You know, there's lots of different options why we may not want somebody there. But is it sometimes the right thing to do? And is it shameful for us to ask for someone to mediate 
Uh, I'd say no, definitely not. Um, it may be a situation where uh, you need to ask yourself, you know, do I care more about resolving the conflict? Do I care more about the person that's involved in the conflict than I care about my own embarrassment? You know, and uh, as Paul mentions, having a humble heart, being able to say, okay, I need help. We need help to resolve this. And that's okay. And uh, it really is the right thing to do. And so that's what I think Paul wanted this, this true companion to do is be that mediator to help them and to um, be able to resolve the conflict, to resolve the relationship, to restore the relationship, and uh, get back to where they were focusing more on the mindset of service and the mindset of the gospel rather than whatever it was they were, they were in conflict about. And uh, I think that's it's a good lesson to us to think through that and say, you know, sometimes there's going to be something that I I want that I think is is best, and sometimes I may need to humble myself and and say, okay, you know, what can I do to resolve this rather than just get what I want out of it? And of course, uh, as we talked earlier in Philippians, if it's if it's a matter of sin, you, know, you don't just let conflict slide. You know, you deal with the sin, and uh, but um, you know, if it, it can be just a matter of opinion or a matter of desire. But we need to work through that, and and if it needs to be somebody else involved, get somebody else involved to ask them to step in and work through that with you. All right, so so we have the conflict there portion, and then he starts talking about peace in verses four through nine. So um, when we talk about peace, you know, as I mentioned, it's the opposite of conflict. All right, so if you're not having conflict, you're often having peace okay you, that's remember the the large book war and peace well yeah, we have conflict and we have peace so <laughs> that's what we have here so we have uh, the opposite of conflict we also see that the source of conflict is, or excuse me, the source of peace, not conflict. The source of peace is God. That was a couple of points that, that we see that in. You know, first, if we look back at verse 2 and that conflict that they were having, it says to be of the same mind in the Lord. You know, the, it's not just to be of the same mind, but there is that important part that it says in the Lord. And so... You know, they they need to resolve it within that um, that um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for in the just in the context of scripture in the context of of what God wants. All right, but then we also see a couple of places. Verse seven it mentions and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So the peace of God. And it's interesting, we go down to verse 9, and it says, then the God of peace. So verse 9, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. So that peace, you know, it's not just the absence of conflict, but really, it's a peace that comes from God, uh, that that we that He desires for the church to have, for the Philippians to have, and He mentions several things in here, and and He kind of ends both of these sections, verses four through seven and eight and nine, with that idea of the peace of God and the God of peace. All right, so. Opposite of conflict, the source is God. 
Another thing is, is that peace is conditional on our beliefs, our decisions, and our actions. Okay. So, yes, peace comes from God. It, God is that source of peace. But does that mean that, that we just get peace uh, irregardless of how we act? Now, it's definitely conditional. Peace is conditional on some of the things that we believe, what we decide, and then how that comes out in our actions. And, and there are, say, conditions or consequences of our actions that if we act a certain way and we uh, believe and make certain decisions, we're not going to have peace. And if we make other decisions then we do have peace, all right? So then you ask the question kind of, well, does that mean that peace is a result of what we do? And and the way I'll explain it is kind of like um, a speaker at, at college one time. It, it just, the way he explained it helped me to understand it, except for he was talking about encouragement, but I'll use the same example for peace. So we were... A, we were there in chapel, we were listening, and outside it was just pouring down rain. I mean, you could hear the rain just hitting the roof the whole time that we were, that we were listening. And he was talking about encouragement, and he, he said, you know, this, this situation is kind of like um, the way it works with God's encouragement. I'll say in this case, God's peace God is wanting to give us peace, but sometimes what we do and the way we act blocks that from getting to us. So just like the roof was stopping the rain from getting down to us, that doesn't mean that the rain wasn't coming. It just means we were blocking it out, which in that case was a good thing. Uh, but for God's peace, do we sometimes block out God's peace? It doesn't mean that God isn't trying to give us peace. But sometimes we block it out because of our actions and the things that we're doing keeps um, God's peace from being present in our lives. And so, yes, there are things that we can do to promote peace. And there are things that we can do that will disrupt our lives from getting peace. And, um, you know, it, it, it is often a result of what we do. So, you know, he starts out this section uh, talking about rejoicing. You know, as we've looked at through Philippians, you know, that's one of the themes. But uh, he, he mentions rejoicing, and the first question I have to ask is, um, looking at this verse, does it look optional? No, no, rejoicing isn't an option here. It's a command. So we see, number one, rejoicing is a command. And he, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says, again, I will say rejoice. So he, it's not only a command, but it's a repeated command. And often in, um, in language and in in uh, grammar, when we're trying to emphasize something, we repeat ourselves. And so here he, he is emphasizing this and saying, you are to rejoice in the Lord always. And then again, rejoice. You know, it, it is a command. So when we look at rejoicing, what, what is rejoicing? Help me out. What if you're trying to define rejoicing? What would it be? Happy. Happy? Okay. All right. Well, at least what it isn't. If it's a command and you're supposed to do it always, it cannot be based on circumstances. Okay. So that's a. All right. So rejoicing is not. Dependent on circumstances, right? 
Oh, okay. All right. All right, so joy, you know, we talk about happiness, but really kind of joy that is beyond, um, you know, sometimes we use happiness in the idea of, of circumstances, but yeah, uh, a joy of heart, okay? Larry, I think... Yeah, yeah, confidence in God. Okay, that's a good, good uh, word for it too, yes. Let me ask you this. Do we, do we rejoice because we have peace or do we have peace because we rejoice? Okay, all right, so if you're rejoicing you end up getting peace. Um, it, do we say, we? well, really, I think it's kind of a trick question because it kind of goes both ways, doesn't it? Okay. If we have peace, is that something to rejoice about? Yes. But if we're not rejoicing, are we going to have peace? I'd say probably not. Um, and the idea of rejoicing, the way I put it here is it's recognition of God for who he is, his wisdom, his power, and his authority. You know, when we start talking about rejoicing, we're praising God for who he is. And we're saying, you know, we are thankful, we are grateful for who God is and what he's done in our lives. And it's that recognition that he is that God of wisdom power and authority. And really that's the starting point of peace is that once we realize that God's in charge and start living like that, then, then God allows or God, God's peace will not be blocked and it'll start to, to show in our lives. recognition of God for who he is, but it's also resting in God for who he is, okay. his wisdom, power, and authority, because it's, that's what true joy is, is resting in the truth, regardless of what's around you. You know who God is, what he's promised, and all that. Yes. So I would just, I wouldn't remove that, I wouldn't modify it, I would add to that. Good. Okay, yes. So, yeah, not just a mental knowledge of that God is in charge, but that you're resting or trusting in God uh, for him being who he is. Paul writing this from prison. Yes. <laughs> not sure whether he's going to live or die. That's right. <laughs> yes. Paul's a perfect example. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, as we look at that, rejoicing is, is not a command. And it really is that starting point of peace. It is that point that, that once we... Uh, sorry, yeah. What did I say? Oh, sorry. Let me back that up. Yes, rejoicing is a command. It's not optional, I think, is what I meant to say. Um, but anyway, yes, it is a command... And it is that starting point of peace. All right. So he, he mentions this rejoicing. He mentions gentleness next. And he, gentleness to whom? What's the, what's the verse say there? Everyone. All right. It says all men. All right. So, you know, sometimes Paul mentions things as being important for a believer in their relationship with the church around them. And then other times he says things like this, we're to be gentle to all men, uh, whether in the church or out of the church, you know, to all people, we are to be gentle. And that idea of gentle carries the idea of um, moderation or uh, 
kind of a temperance. Um, it's a yeah. It, it's the way I think about it is, is sometimes in this world when we want to be known and we want people to um, to know us, you know, our tendency is to want to be saying, "Oh, look how strong we are! Look how." We can get things done, how we can be forceful and and stern and and you know get things done and it's it's not the idea that is presented here it's not that we are weak but that we're gentle. we still get things done, but it's how we get that done that is is the difference you know so a gentleness. And why does he say for us to be gentle? What does he say there? Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. <laughs> you know, um, so the Lord is at hand, meaning that he is close was the, was the Lord a good example of gentleness? Yeah, absolutely. And he's watching us. He's near us. And if we're not, if we're not treating others the way that, uh, that Christ has exemplified that, you know, we're, it's really kind of a, a uh, I wouldn't say a slap in the face, to God for the way that he's treated us if we are treating other people in a harsh way or a stern way and not gentle. Now we look at some of the verses like Matthew 18, 21 through 35. That's the, uh, the story of the man that was forgiven much. And what happened, uh, we won't read through this section, but what happened with that man that was forgiven much? It says he went out, um, verse 28, but that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. You know, he was, He had been forgiven so much, but yet... He goes out to his you know, servant and takes him by the throat. You know, definitely not the example of gentleness. And it's not the example that, uh, that God wants us to live by. But what he, what he desires of us is as much as we've been forgiven, we should be willing to forgive others. We should be uh, gentle with them and, and forbearing uh, with others. And that, that's kind of the idea there. We also see it in Colossians 4, just a couple of pages further, verses 5 and 6. It says, Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. And so even with those outside of the church, we are to have a speech that is... Um, that is gentle. It is communicating love, not not being harsh, and uh, you know. And that is an example to those who are outside of the church. All right. So mentions gentleness, and does gentleness promote peace? Yes, a soft answer turns away wrath. You finish that, a harsh word stirs up anger. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's not the type of person we want to be. And, it's not the, and we won't reap the results of peace if we're not being that type of person. All right, so gentleness. And he mentions not anxious. Now, we're just going to skip over that. Uh, no. <laughs> Not anxious, um, not to be worried, you know, and this goes back to that idea of rejoicing and 
idea that we that Kevin mentioned, not just knowing that God's in control, but trusting the God who is in control. Knowing that He is the one who, uh, it says, every good gift, every perfect gift comes from Him. And uh, the one that loves us, and uh, we can trust Him. And we aren't to be anxious or worried about everything that goes on in life. Is that is that easy? Um, you know, it, God says His burden is light, but often we make it hard. <laughs> you know, it's it's us that makes life difficult, not not God. Okay. So we aren't to be we are not to be anxious, and it says be anxious for nothing. All right, so, you know, it's those words like that that kind of incorporate everything that makes it even more difficult because we don't have an excuse. It says for nothing. We're not supposed to be anxious for for anything. And, uh, you know, it's very clear. There's not, not much room there to, to wiggle around and say, well, I can worry about this and not worry about that. It says... Be anxious for nothing. All right? And then it mentions prayer, supplication. Uh, Let's see. Let me find my place here. But in everything by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. All right. So does prayer help us uh, enjoy peace in life? Because we're looking at it and we're saying, okay, well, we're not to be anxious. Well, what do we do with all these problems? Because are there going to be problems in life? Yes. There's no way around that either. There's going to be issues. There are even going to be conflicts, sometimes because of things we do and sometimes because of what other people do. But there are going to be things that come up and that are problems. And, and he says, you know, the answer to that is take it to God. You know, prayer, um, making supplication to him, asking request of him, uh, praying for others that are going through difficulties. And you know, one thing I, I left out in that line was Thanksgiving uh, should have been in there. But Thanksgiving is a part of should be a part of our prayer life as well, and and just part of our life in general. Again, when we are thankful, it means we're recognizing who is in charge, and that that what he's doing is right, and we're trusting him for it. All right, so we take it to God, and then he he wraps up that section there and the peace of god which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus we're going to come back to that verse all right so we have prayers and supplications and then he starts into this next section finally brethren and he mentions all of these things to be meditating on um Things that are true, noble, just, lovely, good report, virtuous, praiseworthy. We're not going to look at each of these words because we don't have time. But you know, most of those are really self-explanatory. And, and if we spend all our time not just casually thinking about these things, but as it says there, meditating on these things... Um, do we have time for worry? <laughs> no, I, I think if we occupy our mind with these items rather than worrying about things, um, it certainly promotes that ability to have peace. And we're thinking about uh, things that are true. How many promises does God give us in Scripture? I don't know the exact number, but just 
you know, there are lots and lots of promises that God gives us in Scripture that are true because He has said them. And if we're thinking on those things and we think about these promises, you know, I will be with you always. And is that something that's going to allow for you to have peace? You know, it, it certainly removes a lot of worry, doesn't it? And so, you know, it is on us that we need to take those steps to, to decide, do we believe these things? You know, and are we deciding that we are going to live this way and then act this way? And if we do believe these things and, and act this way, you know, can God give us peace? And the answer is, of course, yes. We... we we just often get our minds cluttered with a lot of other things. And God says, these are the things you need to meditate on. All right. And so when you look at all these things, what are, what are the results that we have because of rejoicing, being gentle, you know, uh, praying and meditating on all these things? And he says... You will have peace which you cannot fully even understand. And there are times in life where it doesn't make any sense to have peace. You know, we're looking at what we're going through. We're looking at the problems that are going on. And we're thinking, you know, how, why do I have a peace about this? You know, why, why does it seem okay? And it's because... You know, we're trusting God with answers. We're trusting him to take care of the things that we cannot. Um, I've talked with someone recently that had um, some of their kids had gone on a missions trip. And uh, I can say this personally ourselves because uh, our son and daughter-in-law went to uh, Ukraine and it was right before everything happened in Ukraine. And I mean, it was kind of a... Uh, a tense time to be there in the Ukraine. Okay. But you know, we look at it and we're thinking, okay, you know, it's okay. We had a peace about it, that they were where God wanted them to be at that time and that God was going to take care of them. And we had, we had a peace about it. And it was a peace that, you know, frankly, I couldn't say, yeah, this is normal. <laughs> You know, it was definitely something beyond our understanding, but it's because it's a peace that comes from God, not from us. All right. So it is a peace that, that goes beyond understanding. It says your heart will be guarded by this peace, uh, that this surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Our heart and our mind will be guarded by it. What does that what does that mean to be guarded? What what does a guard do? Is that protect? protect? Okay. Yeah. Now, often a guard is placed at a door in order to keep what's that? <laughs> oh, keep people out. Yeah. All right. So, you know, if, it's, if we have this peace because of our um, trusting in God for, what, for who he is, and we're following his commands that he has there, and meditating on the things he, he has for us to meditate on, it says that will actually be that guard to protect us from the worry and the, the uh, stress, the conflict even, that can happen in life. It, it acts as that guard because then we're not all up in, up in arms about us not getting what we want. Our focus is more on what is it that God has for us and what does he want and uh, then trusting him for that. So it will guard us against that. 
And then it says, in verse 9, it says, um, These things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. you know, again, you know, is it conditional on some of the things we do? Yes. But the God of peace himself it says he will be with you if we allow him to be that peace for us. All right. There's so much that, that God is that source, but we have a responsibility in it. Right. Things that we need to do, people that we need to be in order for God to be that peace for us. And uh, Paul was wanting this for Euodia and Syntyche. He's wanting it for the church of Philippians. Uh, or Church of Philippi, and uh, you know, God wants it for us as well, that he wants us to enjoy this peace. But we just have to uh, make sure we get out of the way and let God be that peace for us. All right? So some reminders of things we need to, to do in life and the, the many blessings that God can give us if we do. All right, so with that, I will switch gears and, and encourage you to get together. And as the scripture said there, bring our prayer requests, supplications, our thanksgiving to God. And uh, you can get together with others and do that even now. All right, thanks. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit our website mbcgrimes.org. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and to God be the glory.